0: what is going on everyone welcome to the venue rx podcast and i am excited because i'm joined today by a fellow san diego resident Braden, and we are going to learn all about everything that he does for the wedding and events industry today Braden, thank you so much for being on the show
1: thanks for having me i'm excited to be here
0: So where are you in San Diego? I mean, San Diego is a big place and it's pretty diverse.
1: Yeah. So fun fact for everyone listening. I I Googled this at one point in time because as you know, I'm the co-leader of our Tuesdays Together group. We have a lot of area to cover here. San Diego County, the county itself is larger than the states of Delaware and Rhode Island combined. How wild is that? So very big area we cover. I am in, um, I'm in, I always tell people I live in Kensington. More specifically, my house is actually in Talmadge, if anyone actually knows where that is, but very close to central San Diego, about five miles from downtown.
0: Very cool. And then it's an ideal location, I think, for all the work that you do with Tuesdays Together and just kind of in the wedding and events community, because there's so much. I think the culture and what is prevalent, I think in the wedding and events industry varies so differently from the San Diego events, which are, you know, there's a lot more corporate stuff that happens there and there's the convention center. And I mean, of course, of course, this is like pre pandemic, but then you get to North County and you get to Fallbrook and then you get, and Temecula is not even San Diego County, but like, you know, a lot of the the people, the members will go back and forth between those groups, depending on where they are. And it's vastly different environments.
1: Yeah, very different. I mean, up in Temecula, you have like all the wineries, right? It's like a lot more ranches up there. It's, and then down here, we have like a lot more beach weddings, obviously. So very different vibes. Um, but one of the nice things is, is my business is all online. So even pre-COVID, I was working with wedding
0: professionals all over the country, which is really fun. That's incredible. Well, let's get into your business. What do you do? How do you serve our community? Um, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, well, my business is a little bit all over the place. So we've all heard the term multi-passionate entrepreneur, right? So I've tried to do my best not to have multiple businesses, but I've kind of uh, satisfied that need by teaching multiple topics within my business. So my background is really that of an attorney. I went to law school, passed the bar exam. And then after that, I went and got a degree called an LLM, which is a master's of law degree. So the prerequisite is that you have a law degree, the master's is through the law school. And my master's degree is in tax law. So I have a specific niche in tax law. And really what that boils down to and makes it relevant for your audience is that I do a lot of what I call CPA adjacent work, really the consulting pieces that when it comes to tax and then also legal work. And now I've gotten into like cash flow and more finance education as well. So really all like the back-end business stuff.
0: What at what point did you really get interested in law like was there a point in school at a certain grade maybe that you were like this is my thing
1: yeah well it was one of those in that like Elementary, junior high, high school. I always like. I really liked history, and I liked writing, and I really liked to argue and debate. And that's always the joke, right? People always say, "Oh, you love to argue. Argue. You should be an attorney." So that seed was planted pretty early. When I got into college, I really debated like a lot of different, a lot of different areas, and I think I ended up going to law school by default because honestly, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. It sounded cool. It sounded like prestigious. You know, that kind of like spoke to my ego turns out law school is like really not that, not that exciting and not that special. But luckily for me, uh, I did end up really enjoying it. So it was a good fit.
0: Very cool. Take us through that funnel then. So you started, it was kind of like arguing, not quite sure, but law (laughs) sounds great and prestigious. Now you've passed, you know, the bar. Well, you've gone through law school, right? You've passed the bar. At what point are you like, oh, I need, I want to do this LLM. I really want to dig deeper. And then even take us further, like how did you get into the wedding and events industry? I mean, that's such a special niche. It's such a it's such a huge micro industry. Like, it's crazy. There's It's a multi-billion dollar industry, but, you know, it's filled with so many people who are solopreneurs and things like that. So how did you kind of go from that big idea to what you specifically do today?
1: Yeah, so first of all, I have a really large dump truck outside my house. Can you hear that? No. Picking up my microphone? Okay, no. all right. Okay, so... How I got into this niche, I'll try to give you the short story. When I was in law school, I was lucky enough to get some pretty good internships, like some internships that other law students would have like done a lot to get. And whenever I was working in these inter- in- internships, I felt really guilty because I hated like every living second of it. I was like, this is not for me. And then I was like, there are so many other people who'd rather be doing this. And that told me really early on that I did not want to go into traditional law
0: practice. So I'm glad I got that lesson. And really? so I knew. Brayden, I want to I, I interrupt you really quick because I'm, fa- I'm, I'm fascinated with people's hiring journeys. And just like we're diving into your journey a little bit. I think there's so many people. I mean, when we ran the staffing company, so many of the people who we worked with, We're students, and they were trying to get into internships and things like that. So how did you get those internships? This is a total sidebar from our whole conversation, but I'm curious.
1: Yeah, so my first internship, it was a paid internship the summer after my first year, which is unheard of, because usually you don't get paid at all through law school, let alone after that. But it was actually through a program called the, I think it was called the Diversity Fellowship Program through our county bar And so as a gay person, I, you know, I applied uh, and I got that internship. So there were 20 spots open and they had 20 placements at different law firms. So I got an internship at a really uh, reputable plaintiff's firm here in San Diego. So they do a lot of like mass tort cases. They were on like the hydroxy cut case, like back in the 90s. So that was interesting. And then um, my second internship, I actually got... Through my husband's best friend. So my husband's nine years older than me. He's an attorney. So obviously, you know, connections, connections help. So I got that internship through her and they did medical malpractice defense work. It was a really large law firm, but that was her area. And for context, I was studying health law. That was my specialty. That's what I thought I was going to go into. Um, I had an opportunity to intern at the department of justice, also doing medical mal- malpractice defense for the VA, but that was the same semester as my other internship. So I had to choose. Um, but yeah, that's like how I, how, how those came to be.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Okay. So let's, let's keep going. Cause yeah, I'm, I love, I think so many people I know for myself, I had no idea what I wanted to do and internships were kind of like, you know, the way to go, to way to kind of like test things out, but even internships are so competitive, and to really get into yes. the good ones, like you said, uh, is is very difficult. So paid, and then that's awesome. Okay, very cool. Yeah,
1: and and law school is weird because it's like the only kind of higher education where at the end of every semester you get a GPA and a class rank. So it's like high school. You know what your class rank is. And a lot of internships are based on class ranks. So they'll say only apply if you are top 10% of your class. So it's very bizarre in that way. But in short, um, I I really liked the health law classes that were statute-based. So I liked studying the Affordable Care Act and these kind of sweeping policies that went through Congress. And I didn't really enjoy traditional case law. So like constitutional law, I hated that. You had to read all these long cases with dissenting opinions, it was like very random. But one of my professors was like, "That's a very interesting thing that you picked up. If you like reading, if you like reading statutes and laws on their books and learning about, you know, policies going through Congress, you should really take a tax class because that's really all it is." So I took it. I was surprised. I really liked it because I like failed out of business school and undergrad. I didn't get in, so I didn't. I didn't think tax was going to be my avenue, but I really liked it. And then I ended up um, getting my master's. I kind of started out debating what niche I wanted to serve as a solo attorney. I thought about, I do Ironman triathlon. So I thought about serving like the fitness industry. Um, I worked at West Elm. So I thought about serving the interior design industry and I kind of ended up niching down to creatives. And then just due to the like networking that I ended up getting into, I made a quick connection with the wedding industry and that's what took
0: off first. Got it. Got it. Totally makes sense. So a lot of connections for anyone listening to this right now, if you're looking to, And I think your story actually beautifully illustrates this. If you're looking to get in an industry and, you know, have an incredible company that serves so many different people, instead of kind of starting with that, you know, just going down and finding the thing that you like. And it seems like you went from thing that you like to thing that you like to thing that you like. And it was like, I'm here now. I'm serving creatives in this way that is associated with my passion. That's really neat. I really like that.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's it's fun. A lot of people, I mean, a lot of people have like these preconceived notions of what attorneys are. They think that we're like litigious and argumentative. And a lot of attorneys have very high stress jobs. This is why we have to go through like annual education on like substance abuse because it's a very common problem. But I always say I'm very, very lucky because most of my work is done in the planning phase. So people are really excited about starting their businesses and I get to help them set that up um, and I help them talk about their cash flow. Obviously, taxes are stressful, but it's really helping people build businesses. And that's a pretty, pretty cool thing to be able to do, I think.
0: Well, it's not only a cool thing, but you touch on what you do and what you touch on is something that people are, I, I think scared of. I know I, when I was starting my businesses, kind of was kind of scared of like legal and taxes and and there was a lot of I, I think fear, like I kind of knew what I wanted to do or knew what I liked to do, but I didn't know the legal ramifications of it or, or whatever. So it's neat that you can come in and help these business owners and help these creatives that maybe are not thinking, you know, legal or cash flow or any of this stuff first. They're just thinking about how to apply their passion. Let's go there. Let's talk okay. about business formation. Cause you kind of mentioned that a little bit. And I think that beautifully segues into, to, you know, the meat and potatoes, if you will, of what we're going to be talking about today. So what, um, When you are talking with a business, brand new business, someone just loves florals, floral design, or maybe uh, they're a, a planner, they've planned a couple of weddings, they've assisted someone else. And now they're like, I'm ready. Let's do this. Let's start out, you know, on my own. Let's start out solo. I want to start a company. Where do you tell them to go first? What's like the first thing they should do?
1: Yeah, so I teach this concept that I call the layers of protection. So the really fun concept, I tell people to think about layers of clothing, right? So the number of layers you need depends a lot on the temperature outside, the elements, like how how you feel in the cold elements. And it's the same for your business, right? The more layers we put on, the more protected you're going to be. But for brand new business owners, I call insurance and contracts, the essential layers, like they're non-negotiable. Everyone needs them. And then I call LLCs like quasi essential. Like I want everyone to have them, but if you can't afford it, like in your first three months of business, like let's wait until you get that one big client signed and then you can do it. That's like acceptable in my mind, unless you're like running a bungee jumping company or something. <laughs>
0: so, so when you're, when you're starting out, what is, and what is expensive? Like what is, you know, cause you mentioned you couldn't afford it right away. What typically do you see an LLC or an S corp or C corp? What are some of these things? Is there kind of a price range? Yeah. They're pretty
1: inexpensive. So like I actually just posted on my Instagram yesterday, I'm thinking about doing a VIP day, a service that I'm calling LLC in a day where it's like a half day, a thousand dollars, but I teach people how to do it in my courses. So as far as like the service fees, forming LLCs really isn't that complicated. Um, I have a $400 course that teaches it, but the cost to actually run it and maintain it. In California, we have an $800 annual fee that they call a franchise tax. That's essentially the cost you also have to do a $20 like statement every year maybe have a registered agent for 50 bucks so basically think like $1000 a year a lot of states there are like they're like $70 to form and like free basically to run or $30 or $100 so if you're in a low cost state i say just do it from the get go if you're in a state like california Um, most people can do it from the get go, but I work with a lot of students who are straight out of college and honestly, are like having a hard time buying groceries and they're just like trying to get their first client. Yeah. In which case we're going to make that decision based on what type of business you have. If you own a wedding venue? Like I'm going to say, don't sign a contract until you have an LLC. If you're like a photographer, the risk is a lot lower, but you know, it's still good to get it within a few months, I would say.
0: Okay. So you said the non-negotiables are the insurance. Yes. right and what was that second one contracts contracts so contracts and insurance are kind of that base layer of clothing the underwear if you will right yes yeah <laughs> all right yeah and the
1: re- the reason why a lot of people don't really understand how all these things work together they think that they're they think that like if they have one they don't need the other one but they all serve different roles right so your contract lays the ground rules like so your contract is going to say Like if we cancel for this reason, you can't sue me, it's not a breach of contract, right? Like if my venue gets knocked down by a tornado, I didn't breach your contract by not like hosting your wedding on this day. But that doesn't mean that they can't sue you. Like you still have to defend your contract in court if they wanna sue you. So insurance, if you're properly covered with a professional liability and insurance policy, and that's the key, that's what most people need your insurance is going to defend you, which means they'll actually pay for the attorney to defend you in court. So those are your first two essential layers. The LLC is there as a backup mechanism in case your insurance doesn't cover it or in case someone wins a verdict over your policy. The LLC is there to step in front of your personal assets and make sure that someone can't put a lien or a judgment against any of your personal property in order to satisfy that lawsuit. So those are really how the layers work in action.
0: Totally. And I want to ask a a bit of a sidebar question, maybe The, the LLC or S corporation, however you want to form the corporation, is that really a true protective layer against your own personal property? Because I've heard different things how like it may not actually protect you against certain types of cases or things like that. So are there limitations to the protections that having a corporation like that gives you in terms of liability?
1: Yeah, it's a case-by-case thing, right? So a lot of us talk about LLCs in very blanket terms because it's easier. But like, I'll give you one example. Like attorneys and doctors cannot shield their personal assets with an LLC for professional liability. So if an attorney gives you really bad advice, an LLC is not going to protect them. Um, But that's why they have, that's why legal malpractice insurance is very expensive because it covers all of that. Um, The other thing is, you have to make sure that you have something called corporate formalities so there's this concept we call piercing the corporate veil and i actually just did a like a TikTok on this this morning which is kind of funny but i also tell people to imagine an llc like a magic bubble of protection so i always think the bubble that like glinda floats in and the wizard of oz if you can visualize that like that's your llc that's the bubble and when someone comes to sue you if you have a lot of assets. In your outside of your business, that they can use to satisfy that loss. So they might try to like poke the bubble, like pop it, to make it dissolve, and they do that by basically saying that you're not properly differentiating yourself from the LLC. You're not maintaining separate bank accounts. You don't have an operating agreement. You don't have meeting minutes, and these are all things that you need to do. This is why I'm not an advocate or a big proponent of DIYing LLCs because I see it in Facebook groups all the time. They and the thing is, they are they are like almost dummy proof to form. You can just go to the state website and form it, but it's all these other extra steps that you don't know if you don't go to a professional and get help with them.
0: Yeah. It sounds like creating a boat out of, you know, random materials that you might find around your house. As long as you don't put it on the water and try to float on it, it probably right. is. It looks
1: great. Yeah, yeah
0: exactly. <laughs> and you did it cheaper and you use what you had in your hand. So it sounds like as far as, Cost. We're talking about like cost and where to spend the money, especially like even if you are broke and figuring out how to buy groceries, the place that you want to start is contracts and insurance because that will protect you and make sure that, that bubble stays there so you can kind of keep growing your business and keep going along in the process. Yes. Exactly. Maybe more important than spending a couple thousand dollars on like a logo, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I actually, um, now all the creators I, are like, oh! Yeah. So we're both mutual friends with Renee Dollar. I know she's on your podcast. I'm going to be a sponsor for her conference confidence thing that she's doing for Wedding MBA this year. And they asked me to send them a logo to put on all of their promo stuff. And I was like, I technically don't have a logo. I was like, I technically don't have a logo. They thought it was so funny, but I was like, I mean, I've grown a six figure business without a logo, not super important, still on my to-do list. All this other stuff though, very important. Amazing. Okay, good. So
0: takeaway from everyone, if you are listening to this, Take a look at your contracts. Take a look at your your insurance, and make sure that you're protected there. I love it. Um, let's go to that next phase. We've been talking about money a little bit. You know, we did about seven years. Myself, my wife, our company. We did about seven seven and a half years as a staffing company, and then recently, uh, a portion of that business was acquired, and we now are managing wedding and event venues. So that's we've essentially we've stayed in the industry, but we've shifted. What we do now, and there's different legal concerns, and um, of course different hiring things and all that. But one of the hugest shifts that I've seen is um, is cash flow and how we handle cash and startup costs and different things like that. So let's kind of go back to that foundational question. When you're talking to a vendor, uh, and I know it might vary based on vendors, but what is some advice that you give them about cash flow? Uh, especially being that most of these businesses are service businesses?
1: Yeah. So the first thing that I like to do is make sure that people have a solid plan to save their taxes, because a lot of people don't, Uh, especially when you're a new business owner, you're not that familiar with quarterly taxes. It's not top of mind. And people can get stuck on what I call the oh shit cycle, which is where you end up owing back taxes. And it takes that back tax bill to realize that you need to be saving for taxes then it's hard to save for taxes when you're on a payment plan to pay back taxes. So then like every year you're paying last year's taxes. So that's a really common problem, like a very, very common problem I see. So I have some like tools to help people deal with that. But the other issues is that a lot of people don't pay themselves. Like they go years without really paying themselves any money. They'll take a little bit bit of money out here and there um, when they really, really need it. But I like to have people set their cash flow up very early on to pay themselves every single month, even if it's a nominal amount to begin with, and to be saving for their taxes. Cause ultimately, if you can't do that, like why are we even running a
0: business? So what is what is a nominal amount? I mean, are you are you saying really stick to that? Like if it's five bucks, it's five bucks. Or yeah.
1: And yeah, when when I say a nominal amount, I mean like if you, if you're in your first few months and you're still trying to get your first client still trying to get your first client, you can't pay yourself because you haven't had any money. But let's say you get your first client and your first client pays you the $2,000. Let's, well, let's at least transfer maybe like 500 of that to your personal bank account. It's the first time you're going to pay yourself and use the other 1500 to like, you know, pay down a business debt if you had any, or set aside some money for taxes or put the 1500 in your bank account to cover your expenses for the next month. Most vendors, um, I mean, it obviously depends what kind of vendor you are, but most vendors can run pretty lean early on. So, you know, your first client payment will be able to get you pretty far, but build a habit of paying yourself even with that first check.
0: Totally. I love that. Build a habit of paying yourself even with that first check. We're talking now to businesses that are just starting. Let's talk to the experienced businesses who may be listening to that going, oh shit, like, Yeah. I'm on that cycle. I'm on that. Oh shit cycle that Brayden just talked about. And I don't have a real great system. And every time I hire someone, I kind of get thrown out of balance because now I have to pay. And, you know, maybe we haven't gotten the money yet and different things like that. What advice do you have? Is there a way to kind of figure out a clean break or maybe a first step to take to kind of start cleaning things up?
1: Yeah, if you're in that if you're in that position, you kind of have to put um, like a shock to your business. What are those? What are those shock things called? Never mind. Yep. You know what I'm talking about. Paddle prod. Yeah, okay, yeah, we get a cattle prod. We'll go with that. So, but you kind of have to shock yourself to to get going. So, if you are a more experienced business owner, we might want to look into like whether you're making enough money to be an escort, but that's a whole different topic that we can talk about, in which case you want to be put on salary and payroll, which is gonna force you yourself to pay yourself, right? But when it comes to the oh shit cycle, one of the things that I teach is let's calculate how much extra money you have in your budget to be paying your taxes. And first of all, you have to find the money to be saving for current quarterly taxes. So we take that out as a line I have an item in the budget. So you figure out all your bills, your business expenses, your quarterly taxes, Now, how much money is left over, and that's how much you're gonna pay to back taxes. Ideally, you can file an installment agreement with the IRS um, and do it that way. Because my biggest priority for people is to stop the cycle, which means prior, actually prioritizing current taxes and then putting what's left over towards the back taxes, which is doable for most people.
0: Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Um, what, if someone's listening to this and they're overwhelmed at this point, maybe, because I know, I know a lot of, maybe especially creatives are really passionate about what they do, but then we start getting into kind of some of the weeds on this and they're hearing a lot of the words that are being said, but it's like too much. And they don't want to do it themselves. And I know you advocated for having a a professional do some of this. Are there some key professionals, some key titles that people should have in their business very early on if they can afford it? Yeah,
1: yes and no. I am a little bit, so... I'm probably going to be different from a lot of other experts that you asked this question. Um, I really believe that a lot of the stuff that I'm talking about today, you have to know on your own. So I'm not going to tell you that you need to be able to write your own contracts. Like that's definitely an attorney job, but you can find great templates. But I teach a lot of this in my program. So obviously I'm a little bit biased because I want to encourage people to buy my programs and learn how to do it. But I also, the reason why I have this belief is because I... Love it when my students, this is going to sound terrible, but I love it when my students have this epiphany of, oh, shit, this tax preparer that I hired has been doing this wrong for four years, right? And they usually figure this out in my program. Or some people, I've had other students who are like, oh, yeah, that's exactly how we do it. Like, that's great that they're already doing it that way. And the point of this is that is that you have to have at least enough of a baseline knowledge to know that the people you're hiring are doing what they need to be doing. So that's true when it comes to bookkeeping, when it comes to taxes, and when it comes to your business entity, right? So you should know what kind of entity do I need to have? How often do I need to pay taxes? How much should I be saving? This is all really, I think, the business owner's responsibility to know these things. And then down the road, these are things that you hire out. So, sorry, to quickly answer your question, I don't recommend DIYing trademarks. Hire an attorney for that if you want to get one. Do not write your own contracts. Buy a good template or hire someone for that. But but bookkeeping, paying taxes, you can do on your own. Business formation, you can do on your own with guided help is what I recommend.
0: Got it. Got it. makes total sense. I want to then re-ask that question in a different way because I totally agree with you. And I think that maybe a lot of businesses, when the business owner gets started or the group of people, there's... um, it's kind of like, oh, we love baking, or we love floral design, or we're very organized, and you know, whatever, whatever it is, whatever angle they're starting in this industry on, and then you learn some of those things along the way, right? Maybe you find your course, you find yes. you on TikTok, and then you go from TikTok to Instagram, and then you find the course, right? And you're learning. You've you've learned a little bit more now, I guess, as a business owner. Are there some key people that you think absolutely, once there's a foundational level of knowledge about, you know, how the finance works, how the legal stuff works, are there a core group of people that you would recommend every business having?
1: Yeah. I think once you get to, this is kind of an arbitrary number, but once you get to about $200,000 in revenue, hopefully at least 50% profit, then I think at that point, like you probably need to hire a bookkeeper. Um, The time in which you need a bookkeeper though, I think is also dependent on the number of monthly transactions you have and whether you need someone to help you track down invoices. So that looks very different from someone who has a high volume a business with like lower price points versus, you know, high price points, low volume. Um, And then this also depends on how much time and energy you have to put towards that. So another thing I tell people is the day, the first day that you feel like you need to turn away a client because you don't have time because you're spending five hours a week doing your bookkeeping. That's the time to hire a bookkeeper, right? Because obviously you're going to make way more with that client. So that's that angle. A tax accountant, um, if you if you if all you have is a small business, a schedule C, you can do your own taxes, but if we're talking about advanced business owners who have an S corp, hire a tax accountant for sure who can do your tax return, S corp tax returns are not quite that simple. And then also I think once you're, you know, having like 10k months, it's probably good to have an attorney that you can at least speed dial when you are having a very problematic client. So you might not need to pay them a retainer, you just pay them hourly. But, and hopefully, you never need to talk to them. But, you know, like once a year, you might need to give them a ring.
0: Got it. Do you provide those services for people?
1: Kind of. Um, It's an interesting (laughs) question. It's an interesting question. I'm phasing out a lot of those services. I still do one on one strategy sessions uh, here and there. I'm not a litigator, though. So I do not go to court if you ever have. um, Recently, like in the past year, I've had a few a few uh, vendor friends who've had like lawsuit issues mostly due to covid cancellations and I've referred that out to other attorneys. So people can contact me, I have people I can connect you with if I don't handle it myself.
0: Got it. Very very cool. So yeah, for everyone listening, watching on YouTube, well first I want to check out your TikTok. I think we're going to have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um but that's that's really good to know. That's really cool. So then let's move on a little bit and you know we talked about We talked about contracts and insurance. We talked about kind of some of these foundational things that you need when you are looking at a business and consulting with a business or for any of the business owners that are in your courses, um, are there some things that you see consistently as blind spots that people in our industry have?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, we've talked about a lot of them, right? So not properly protecting your business. Big one. Poor cash flow is a really big one. Um, and also you, like, you have to know your numbers. So I think that's a huge blind spot for a lot of people. Like what's your profit margin? Mm -hmm. How much do you pay yourself every month? And these are big issues, right? Like if you ever want to go buy a house or get any type of loan, like the first thing they need to know is like, what's your month? Like what's your monthly take home pay? What's your annual profit? You got to have a baseline of these numbers and also know where your money is going. If you're spending $400 a month on advertising, is that yielding you any clients? Like, are you tracking these KPIs? So I don't get a lot. Like I do teach like KPIs and systems a little bit, but, um, because they have like an, a connection to finances, obviously, but yeah, this I'm kind of rambling now, but I could talk about this probably all day.
0: No, no, no. Well, I, I'm asking that question specifically because I think that different people are going to listen to this at different life cycles at different places in the life cycle. And so they're going to, um, Maybe they're going to just be starting out and be have that opportunity to become very organized. And sometimes they may be very much in the weeds and trying to figure it out. And so if we can stop the bleeding, right, as some of these biggest, most important things, and that's why I love that you have pointed out some of these, you know, kind of very specific things that people can focus on first, it'll help them get ahead a lot quicker than just kind of running around because as business owners, small business owners, like there's so much to do, right? You are still working on your logo, and that might be something on your item list somewhere. But you know, if you're in a position where you're maybe paying some back taxes, you're, you know, there's all these boxes that you need to check off, knowing which ones to check off first can be really clarifying and I can really help, you know. Yeah. Uh,
1: and this is why, am I allowed to swear on your
0: podcast? Absolutely.
1: Okay, okay, good. Well, so people. My podcast is called Unfuck Your Biz, asterisk with the U, for the U, if people wanna go find it. But I also, I teach what I call the Unfuck Your Biz Framework. It's like a roadmap and the process is gonna be different based on where you are in business. So I'm really glad that you brought this up. For, I mean, for a brand new business owner, we're going to talk about profitability, like a little bit, but more just, more just. Hey, let's not get too excited about like spending all of our money on these exciting business expenses. Like, let's dial it back. Or with the more advanced business owners are going to get more into uh, KPIs and tracking and figuring out what's the actual ROI on each investment. So that conversation looks a little bit different depending on where you are in business. And then when it comes to taxes the newer business owner, I'm like, just save 10% of like all your money. That's probably fine. We'll get more into the details once you're making a little bit more. Whereas with the multi six figure business owner, it's more like, all right, do you have an S corp? Are you on salary? Are you running your medical expenses through your S corp so you can get like double the savings? What does this look like? Do you get health insurance through your spouse? What about a SEP IRA? thinking about retirement and all these advanced strategies. So definitely there are different considerations for where you are in business. Obviously, if you are already at a couple six figures, you probably heard similar talks to this in other places. And you probably have a lot of those basics dialed in. It might just be filling in the gaps and then implementing the advanced strategies.
0: Got it, got it. That's definitely clarifying. I think, yeah, I I think there's a huge difference between those early phase businesses and the multi six figure businesses. And it's funny, I'm smiling to myself. If you're thinking about our business and being in staffing. There were tons and tons of these small transactions. And there was quite a bit of chasing after people to pay invoices. And I should have hired somebody way earlier than I did yeah. because of how it was just because of the type of business it was, but I mean, to be honest with you, I didn't even start listening to podcasts until Almost, I started my own, really, and yeah. I didn't. I, I didn't learned. Eat.
1: I learned so much once I started listening to a I actually feel like the day I started listening to podcasts is where I saw like an uptick in my own business. It's funny that you brought that up. Yeah, well, yeah, like when it comes to the bookkeeping, that's a great example because you could be you could be a wedding photographer who does five thousand dollar packages, and you could be doing ten to twenty weddings a year. So you have twenty clients. You know, twenty times five—that's a hundred thousand dollars that bookkeeping is not difficult. Like, especially if you don't have a lot of expenses, you could do that on your own for a while, unless you're like, oh, I'm too busy. I want to get this off my plate. With what you're talking, with what you were talking about, you might be looking at like a lower annual revenue earlier on, but because you're chasing down so many invoices, that's too time consuming. So if you hire that out, well, now you can spend a few more hours a week on sales, which is going to make you way more money than what that bookkeeper is going to cost you.
0: Yeah. I both tried to spend more money on to spend more time and spend no money on a bookkeeper. And after the first couple of years, actually we started only as a, as a sole proprietorship and then got hit with that pretty heavy tax bill. And that's, that's when, you know, our accountant at the time was like, Hey, have you considered an S corp? And we were like, what is that? (laughs) So, um, yeah, yeah, it was definitely it was definitely a learning experience. It's been fun kind of chatting about some of these things. Cause like I said, this is the area of business, and not a lot of people you know talk about. Love, yeah, yeah. <laughs> love to talk about. yeah. Yeah.
1: I actually I I've been working on and off on a blog post that I want to write called RS Corpse Bullshit. Actually, it probably will become a podcast episode, but in short, we could get into all the weeds, but in short. I have a love-hate relationship with S-Corps because they are awesome, but a lot of people misunderstand them and a lot of accountants give bad advice on them because after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, I think that's what it was called, that President Trump signed in 2018, it actually curbs some of the benefits of S-Corps. So now we kind of have a different uh, lens through which we look at when they are beneficial. And I find a lot of people don't do the proper analysis before they form them. So um, I don't know why I'm going off on that like diatribe, but- uh, No, well, it's because it I keep bringing them about. up,
0: I think. It's because I totally keep bringing them up. And and you're right. I think when when people hear from their tax person, that's maybe the only person speaking in their ear about taxes or whatever. So having these other opinions is really good. For you, as you look at your business and the coaching clients that you have with the different workshops and, and things that you do um, that you've mentioned, where would you recommend- somebody start if they're just brand new to you but maybe they've had their business for six months or something like that
1: like where would they start with my resources or where should they start in terms of their legal and tax stuff
0: no your resources like if someone's if someone's checking out your courses and the different things that you have are there is there kind of a roadmap that you like people to take as they are working through your process
1: yeah, this is a great question. and something I've been working with my own mastermind with, with, uh, on for a while. But in short, um, if people are listening to this, I'm assuming you're a fan of podcasts. So go start listening to my podcast. Um, it's very bingeable. You can listen to a lot of episodes. So start there. I also have a book cool. if people are interested in that. I have a Facebook group. I have like a ton of freebies. But if you really want to deep dive work with me, I'm going to be relaunching my signature program in November. It's like a group coaching program where I walk you through all these things step-by-step. And again, it is very based on your stage in business. So if you're a brand new business owner, it's focused on what do we need to do for you right now? Then let's get your first few clients and then let's take the next step together. If you're a more advanced business owner, we're going to look at what have you not done in the past that you needed to do? Let's get that done first. And now let's implement some more advanced strategies. So um People can work with me when that opens. And meanwhile, I have lots of, lots of free stuff out there and some
0: smaller courses as well. Amazing. We'll wrap up here in just a second, but I, I thought of something while you were saying that last little bit. Are there some like unforgivable sins? Like things that like when you look at with your clients, maybe you're going through, you're working through the workshop and they're like, oh, we haven't, um, you know, we never pay our, employees <laughs> their commissions like oh yeah yeah fired. i mean is there just some things that you're like oh my gosh like fuck you are like we need to big trouble need, yeah i mean big the
1: biggest trouble. ones with income taxes the irs actually has a lot of mechanisms that you can use to help get yourself out of trouble so i wouldn't call those unforgivable but definitely employment issues is a big one um if you are doing anything wrong with your employees or contractors the lawsuits can be basically debilitating and devastating to a business. So be very careful there. The other big one is collecting sales tax and not paying it. And the reason why this is, what was the word that you used? An unforgivable sin. The reason why this is like an unforgivable sin is because sales tax is different from income tax. When you get money, when you collect money from clients, that's your money. And then you are going to pay a portion of that in income taxes to the IRS, right? So they tax you based on your income. When you collect sales tax, that's not your money. It's actually the government's money and you're collecting it on their behalf, holding it for a certain period of time and then paying it to them. So if you collect sales tax from your clients and then you don't send it to the government, they actually deem that essentially to be fraud, to be honest with you. So we do not want to be doing that. It's actually almost better to accidentally not collect sales tax than to collect it and not fork it over they consider that to be theft. So, do not do that. Stay that's on top of your sales taxes.
0: That is crazy too. And that's a that's a great hot tip for today because I feel like QuickBooks and other systems, zero and other things like that make it very easy to click that little button that says charge sales tax and, you know, the rules around whether you should charge sales tax or not and what rate and all that different stuff. It's so easy to just do it and then if you don't know how to if you don't know what you're doing by doing that, yeah, you could absolutely end up. Yeah,
1: sales tax is a minefield. The rules are very, very complicated. Um, But my simplest tip is obviously you eventually want to learn all these rules, but while you're still getting up to speed, just do this, just do this one thing. Open a separate bank account. I want you to have an income tax bank account and a sales tax bank account. But definitely open a separate bank account where you're only putting sales tax. And every Friday or maybe like the first Friday of every month, look at your invoices and look at the total dollar amount of sales tax you've collected. Transfer it to that sales tax bank account. Don't touch it. It's just in that account. And then when you go to file your sales tax returns, all of the money is already there. Out of sight, out of mind. It's not your money. Get it out of your own bank account as quickly as possible.
0: Got it. Got it. I love it. You briefly mentioned uh, hiring and employment law and we don't have enough time to like fully dive (laughs) into this, but you have done quite a bit with AB5 in our community. And for anyone who's in the San Diego uh, area, right, there have been and LA and I mean, really all of California, you know what an impact AB5 has had and Dynamex and the whole conversation. So are there some some, some quick tips that you can give us before we wrap up today. And then we might have to have you back on to kind of fully look into this.
1: Yeah, we can do, I mean, we could do a whole episode on it. I actually did a one hour speaking engagement on this topic, like two days ago definitely in depth. Um, In short, if you're not sure what we're talking about, there's a new law in California that determines whether someone you're hiring can be an independent contractor or whether they must be an employee. So that's some context. And in short, the law says that you can't hire someone who provides the same service as you to be a contractor. So the photographer can't hire a photographer, planner can't hire a planner, floral designer can't hire a floral designer. But there are like a whole slew of exceptions. So early on, the exceptions weren't great, but good news for us in the most updated version of the law, it was called AB 2257, I believe, they created a number of new exceptions. And one of them is called the single event exception, which a wedding would typically be included. If you're hiring someone to be a contractor for a single day event, and you meet a number of other criteria, then you're exempted from the law for that particular purpose. So I have a very in-depth blog post on this topic. I also have a full podcast where I go through that particular exception in detail so people can start there if they want.
0: Okay, amazing. Yeah, let's let's definitely, I want to make sure that I get that from you and then link it here in the description on YouTube and then also for the podcast, anyone who's listening on podcast, because that is is really, really important. As you think about hiring someone, you know, the thought might be, well, I don't have enough money yet to hire an employee, a part-time or full-time employee, but I'll just hire this person as a contractor and knowing how to avoid some of these employment law minefields is, is uh, I think super, super important. So
1: do a a little bit of research before you hire an ex-contractor. You got to, people got to promise me that open a sales tax bank account, do a little bit of research. (laughs) How many action items have we given on this episode? We've given a
0: ton and there's so much value here. I love it. Thank you everyone for listening. And if you would go, uh, check out Brains podcast is Unfuck Your Biz, right? Yes. Amazing. And all available everywhere? Should be, yeah. Everywhere. Cool. Incredible. Well, you can check out the rest of the episodes that we have here on the Venue Rx podcast. Brain. I just want to thank you for taking the time today. I'm excited for when this launches and for everywhere that Brayden is available where he makes all of his stuff available, his courses, uh, everything else coming up. We're going to put links to all of that in the description below here on YouTube. And if you're listening to this on podcast, definitely go check out our YouTube channel because we've got a lot of fun things. You get to see Brayden's beautiful face and we can, uh, we'll, we'll engage more with you there. So thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.